Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. It's so great uh, to see all of you and be together um, as we are continuing uh, really kind of our fall launch, uh, talking about um, who we are as a church and what we believe and why it is that it matters that, that you come uh, or that you're a part or however you would, would uh, express that or think about that. So um, when someone sneezes, the response is what? Someone sneezes, you say, Right. Well, not anymore. You say, what are you doing? If somebody sneezes now, but you used to say, bless you. And um, this idea is, we don't really know why we say it, but there's a story behind it. But most people, it's just kind of the instinctive response to bless someone who sneezes. And oftentimes we think about blessing as just means we hope things go really, really well for, for you. We wish you well is sort of the idea. And it's interesting that um, the priestly blessing that's found in the scriptures is echoed throughout uh, the scriptures. I began to reflect on this, um, particularly uh, during our summer Sabbath. We reflected on the Psalms all summer long. Uh, that podcast is still available. But I remember uh, I was somewhere in the middle of it, Psalm 67. I was just writing in my journal. I was doing the podcast, writing in my journal. I just kind of kept coming back to it, couldn't get away from it. So I just kept reflecting on it, thinking about it. And it's, uh, it's may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. And it's, it's sort of an echo of the, the first blessing or the original blessing from the priest uh, found in the book of Numbers, where it's made the Lord bless you and keep and he's speaking this over his people. And we think about blessings and what that means or what that would mean. I remember uh, years ago, now just for some context, uh, if you're not uh, super familiar with Port City, um, just so you'll, you'll know, to kind of get the picture. A few years ago, I was having coffee with a guy and he was talking about how much God had blessed him all the stuff that God had blessed him with and all this different, you know, just a litany of how God had blessed him. Um, so uh, I drive a 1989 Volvo station wagon. Uh, it is like not cool at all. Uh, it's got almost 400,000 miles on it. It has no AC and the radio station is stuck on an old gospel channel that only plays hellfire and brimstone preaching. So I'm in my car, I get a dose of that, um, everywhere I drive. And um, I've, I've had this car since uh, we started the church in 1999. So I've had it a very long time. And it's just kind of a part of me. And people say, well, Mike, why don't you get a new car? And the reason is because I have kids and they've taken all my money and all the cars, they have all that. So I don't, that's what I get. I've, you know, three women in my household and that's what happens to me. So um, now four, I have a little granddaughter too. So that, that changes, anyway, long story. So, um, so that's my car. And so I'm having this, this meeting with this, this guy. He's telling me all God's blessings and how God blessed him. We get out to the parking lot. We're about to leave. And he pulls up and like my car's here and his car's there. And he looks at his car and it's like this brand new black luxury SUV. He says, I mean, look at how much God loves me, how he's blessed me. I said, well, what do you suppose God thinks about me? <laughs> and this is, this is a lot of the way we approach this idea of blessing. Like it's what has God done for me or what is God gonna do for me? And then what does he want for me so that he'll bless me the way that I want him to bless me? And we end up sort of using God to do what we want him to do. 
And because we're American and we're efficient and we believe that, that we, we try to find hacks to do this. You can find a lot of cool stuff on TikTok. You can find out how to do almost anything on TikTok. How to peel a banana faster, how to uh, tie your shoes faster. You can find all kinds of things. And what we're always looking for is some kind of hack to get what we want to get the, the desired outcome as efficiently and as quickly and with as little cost or inconvenience as we possibly can. And so the reason this matters is because this is how you approach God and how you approach church, how you show up here. And I want us to think about this because what we think about while you're here and what you think about while you're here needs to at some point match. And we've talked about this over and over again. One of the things that's happened over 23 years is our church has changed a lot in a lot of different ways. Some of those changes have been harder than others. Some of them have been more critical than others. There's all kinds of things that have happened over 23 years. But what I've noticed and what we've noticed is something that's very, very important where I'm really excited about some of the things that God has been doing in our church isn't just the things that we do, but it's who we are becoming. I've noticed this within a lot of our leaders, a lot of our staff, a lot of, I mean, we were starting to become, I think, more closely aligned with God's heart and His intention for who He wants us to be. It's taken a ton uh, of, of us to sort of discern and learn, and uh, a ton from us to learn and discern and to, to get here. Because there's a tendency when God has done enough, you go, okay, God, you've done some really cool things. Now let's just do this because everything works like it's supposed to. And for some of us, that's where we struggle. Right? God has blessed us to a point. And now we're like, let's preserve those blessings. Let's hold on to those things. God, don't mess this up. And he keeps asking, he keeps inviting us. There's more, there's more of me. There's more of me. There's more of what I long for you. There's more life for you. If we're willing to continue to follow and to trust and to become. And so the reason I bring this up is because who we are is really more important than almost anything else. And I'll tell you why. In just a minute. But I remember years ago, we talked this a lot, but, but there's a famous quote from a guy named Peter Drucker. who's a business guru and he said this. He said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Because a lot of people, you try to create the plan, get the strategy, get the right strategic plan, execute the plan, then you'll get the outcomes that you want. And culture eats strategy for breakfast. Earl McManus, he's a pastor in California. He said, he defined culture this way. Or culture is, it comes from the Latin word, or the Latin word they use is ethos. It's the kind of the air we breathe. It's what's, what's sort of we, the, the, the water that we swim in. It's the ethos. And he defines it this way. He said, the culture or the ethos is spontaneous recurring patterns. It's the things that you do all the time without thinking about them. And this is true in any organization. It's true in your families. Right? There's, a, there's a culture in your home. There's a culture in your relationship. There's a culture in your workplace. There's a culture in whatever group that you are around. And there's spontaneous recurring patterns that happen. You didn't plan them. You don't strategize, strategize for them. It's just sort of the air that you breathe. When, when you come home, when people in your household, do they know if they have to take the temperature of mom or dad before they ask for something particular? It's not because you planned it or strategized. It's just the air that's in your home. It's the culture of your home. You have to be really careful or mindful. Everything that we do has spontaneous recurring patterns. It's the culture. And so our challenge as a church, as a people, is to understand that there is something that is shaping us and causing us, and it is who we are, become, who we are becoming. It is far more important than what we say we believe or what we actually believe or what we even do. It's who we are. 
Culture is what happens to people when they walk into here, they interact with us, what happens to them, what they feel, what they perceive. All those things are a part of culture. And so we have to understand, like, what is it that God is doing? If he's blessing us and wants to bless us, what is that for? What are we supposed to do with this? How are we supposed to receive this? And the secret of culture is also the beauty of culture. The culture isn't something that you can plan or make. It's something that you become. And you become that because of all of the parts that begin to swirl together and they make this thing, whatever it is, what it is. Right? You know this. Um, I don't, I don't want to spend any more time, but I think you know this. I was going to tell you another story, but that's off topic and I'll say it for another time. So we're talking about, about us. And I, I want to th- think that's because all of us have walked in here and show up here for, for all kinds of different reasons that, are, that, are, that aren't inherently bad. To come and to want to be helped or to look for a solution to a problem or someone to shoulder a burden. Those are all really, really good and important things. But what you experience when you are here is what we're talking about. That's what I want for us to get to. And so we're talking about this idea of our mission and our reach. And last week we used this passage where Jesus looks out on the people and how he sees them, the spontaneous recurring patterns, this culture that Jesus longs for us to experience, that he longs to shape us into, that we become and we develop the same kind of spontaneous recurring patterns that mimic or that imitate him. As so he sees the crowds, they're needy and they're looking to him. And here's what he says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion upon them or on them because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Some versions say they were bewildered and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And because we all know what sheep without a shepherd are like, right? right? When's the last time you spent time with sheep? A couple weeks ago, a month ago? Um, We have this idea that's sort of like spiritual or it's like archaic, but sheep without a shepherd are basically, he's describing people who are just left without anything that governs or protects that just exposes themselves to whatever is out there. So think about, do you know anybody? Like maybe that's you, right? That your, your heart and your soul are just exposed in ways to whatever whim or whatever appeals to you or whatever attracts your attention or whatever it is, you're just sort of out there. That's what he's talking about. And what Jesus is saying that his heart is he has compassion on people who don't have any governing way to sort of bring them into a place of wholeness and of healing and aliveness and fullness. Otherwise, we're just chasing and wanting. Then he goes on, he says this, Jesus then said to his followers, after he makes this assessment, his default response to those kinds of people was compassion. So he looks at his disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And again, what a lot of us end up thinking is this is where youth are called to go and convince the people who are wrong that they're wrong and then make them right. And we think that's what going out into the harvest field is like. And the reality is these these metaphors that, that God uses, that Jesus uses, that God preserves for us throughout the scriptures are metaphors that are that are compelling us to think and consider things. Sheep without a shepherd, um, salt and light and yeast, leaven, all these things are they're, they're caused to jar us, to make us think. 
When he talks about this idea that the fields are white under harvest, I've never seen a field that's white under harvest, right? You have to think about it, consider it been normal back then in sort of an agricultural economy, but it's foreign to us. We have to think about it. And what does it mean? There's a skill required to do this. There's all kinds of things we're looking for. There's a shrewdness and a, and a way in which we are to be. We don't just go out and hold, you know, it's, it's not about convincing. There's a work for us to do, to get our hands dirty, to harvest, to do the work of this, to have compassion on people. All this has to be a, a sort of a formative work in us that causes us to become who we are. Our mission is very clear. We've talked about this last week. Our mission is to reach people and to help them walk with God. This isn't about running out with a sickle and just you know, whacking people off at the knees with biblical truths and convincing them we're right. It's about something more that we talked about this last week. And what we've mostly, what I want for us to really begin to consider, and this is where I want for us to go today, is we sort of redefine or rethink, redefine what we mean by reach. Is that reach isn't used to measure how many people come to our church or how big our church is. Reach actually measures the heart of our church. Reach measures our willingness to care. For you to be a part of that, you have to consider what are you willing to care about? What are you willing to look out on and to let compassion well up in you? What are you willing to care about? And then what are you willing to do about it? What are you willing to look at and see that lets your heart sort of get broken? And then what are you willing to do about it? That's what we're talking about. The way we talk about reach and the way we're defining it is this, that reach is the extension of God's love through, or the expression of God's love, through the extension of ourselves. When we give ourselves away and to others. And when you begin to think about this, it really comes this word I've had on sort of my journal list at the top of my kind of thinking for a while. Because when I think about what does God want to do, His blessing for us, um, it's this idea of redemption. And this is a word that I think is sort of lost in our, our view of God and what he's wants to do because we sort of replace this idea of the gospel and salvation of being uh, sort of the mechanism by which we get people uh, into heaven after they die rather than some kind of purpose and intention that God has intended for us. My view of the gospel begins in the beginning of the scriptures. It begins in the beginning when God created all that we see and in the pinnacle of creation, he formed human beings and he called them. He called them good and he called them into existence and he gave them a very specific mission. He called them, I have made male and female as image bearers. We bear his image and we are to contribute and to cooperate with him in ruling what he has created and contributing in actually creating culture that we bring things into being as we live and move and exist. All the things that we do, do this. This is what God intended us and called us to do. And when sin broke that, God began the journey of redeeming it, of bringing it all back to what he had originally intended. And so when I think about our responsibility, what we, what I am called to do, and then what I try to teach and frame what I think we are called to do, it's really, really actually quite simple. Uh, number one is we bear his image, which means we are responsible for the integrity of his image. We are responsible for the integrity of his image. The way you and I live are to say, or say something about the God that we believe in, the God whose image we have been made in. My integrity isn't based on a system of principles that work for the American life. They're based on the very character and the very heart of God. There are a lot of principles that have served me really well 
over my life. There are a lot of principles that are beginning to cost me more and more and more as I try to align myself more fully with what God wants for me to be. The things that I care about, the things that I'm learning to care about. And these are all, these are, these are hard things. To look and to have compassion on people that it's very easy to make your enemy. To look and to have compassion on people that it's very easy to ignore and overlook and to pretend like they don't live right around the corner from us or in our own backyard. To have our hearts broken for those things. We see things a little bit differently. And then to say, this is the kind of person that we want to become, the people we want to become, because that's the kind of God that has created us and called us as his own. And so the second one is then how we operate in the world, the effect or the impact of what we do in the world. This is our influence. Rather than using our influence to build a platform or to build some other thing, we say, you know what, we want to leverage our influence. What our job is to bear the integrity of his image and to bring the influence of God's love in everything that you and I do. That's it. This is, this is God has, is, is working to redeem all things and he is building a redemptive community to do it. One of the things we talk about around here is us being a family. And one of the things that we kind of, we're, we're learning, we're trying to grow in, is that what we believe is that if you're a family of origin, the family that you were born into can inflict great harm on your life. Then perhaps the redemptive family, God's redemptive family, could bring deep healing. What if that could be true of what God is doing in us. So he blesses us. He makes his face shine on us. What that means is the idea of making his face shine on you is like, remember when you were like a little kid playing soccer or you had little kids playing soccer? And my little kids were playing soccer. It was crazy, man. They, they, my kids, didn't want, my youngest especially, she didn't want to get on the field without me. So I, they allowed two coaches on the field. So I had to go on the field and she would just hold my leg. So I would just use her and kick the ball with her on my leg and do this. Or I'd pick her up, swing her around, let her feet, you know, because she was just so afraid. But eventually she got, and I remember one time she was out there and she kicked the ball. And it was a big deal when you're playing like little bitty soccer because it's like amoeba ball. They just follow each other around. And she kicked the ball and it didn't just roll. It came off the ground. She kicked it in the wrong direction but it came off the ground. She kicked it hard, it came off the ground. You know what she did? She didn't chase it. She turned to the sideline. and She's like, Dad, did you see that? And my face was shining on her, right? That's the picture. It's this, this, it's this sense of approval and pleasure of the one who cares for you, seeing you and saying, yep, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's my kid, like that's, that's the picture. So it's that his face shines upon us. So here's how this reads. This is in Psalm chapter 67. Starting in verse one, we read the whole thing of seven verses. And this is a song, it's a poem, so it's written with some repetition. But it says, may the Lord, may God be gracious to us and bless us. And I think all of us want that. All of us long for that. So what does he say? May the Lord bless us and be gracious to us. Why? So that what? So that your ways may be known on the earth and your salvation among the nations. 
If you go back to the beginning, when God blessed Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And he just echoes this again, that God blesses you and he blesses me, not so we can build bigger, cooler stuff, but so that through our lives, we then, God through us, blesses others. Our blessing is for the sake of other people so that they will know the good news, the message of his salvation, what he does for us. I've mentioned this over and over again, but part of the idea of salvation is that God comes to save us. Jesus came to save us from our sin. And what a lot of us end up thinking, and there's a lot of, I don't wanna get too, too deep in this, because all I can do today, the challenge of today's message is I'm not gonna be able to bring this to any sort of closure today. All I'm gonna do is take three cans and shake them up and then pop them open. So when we're done today, all you're gonna have is just fizzy mess all over you, okay? Is that that's fair enough? That's what I'm gonna do today. Um, and you'll have to come back next week so we can start cleaning it all up. But when we think about God forgiving us, a lot of us think it's like God has some kind of whiteboard. And so he saves us from our sin and so he forgives us. It means we, we mess up the whiteboard, he erases it off and now we're clean. And now that we're clean, we promise never to do it again, right? And then what happens? You do it again and you begin to wonder how many times is God gonna be tired of wiping your sin off of the whiteboard? How, when are you gonna have finally exhausted his willingness to do that? It's because we don't understand what it means to live in his forgiveness, within what he has actually done. The reason God came to forgive us is not so that we can feel better about ourselves. The fact that we are relieved from shame and guilt, all those things is a very good and very important thing. But the fundamental reason why God forgives you and me for our sins is because sin is what separates us from God. And so he came to remove the thing that keeps you from what he has intended you to be. He has forgiven you so that you can be reconciled to the Father. Why? Because he has blessed you and his face is designed to shine upon you as the one who belongs to him. And he did send his only son to remove the thing that threatened to keep you distanced. That's what forgiveness is. Everything else is us being formed into that and learning what that means. So he tells us that our blessing is then designed to move outward towards others, that his salvation will be made known among the nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May the peoples praise you. Again, this is that poetic language. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule your people with equity and you guide the nations of the earth. I remember I was reading this a couple weeks ago. Again, I was like, this isn't going so well. Like he's ruling the people with equity. This doesn't like it's turning out very well for, for a lot of people. What I began to realize is that there's this in this that God is giving us this picture of what we, you and I, are to participate in. The way of life under which we've been intended to live and we begin to work for. This is our redemptive activity. Again, he echoes this line. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. And God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. And I translate fear in, in my notes because I think in our culture, we think of it as like some kind of cowering, kind of intimidating, um, you know, patriarch sort of thing. And it's, it's, I translate it as to fear God is to know him as God, to recognize that he is unlike me and unlike what I know. And he is God and I am not. It's a posture before him. And so, 
what, what is happening and the reason you are either moving in that direction or are not moving that direction, the reason you are learning how to receive and live as one who is forgiven and who then receives and then offers is not because you're a good person or a bad person. It's not even because you are a good Christian or a bad Christian or you have good faith or bad faith. The reason that you aren't isn't because of any of those things. It's because you are being formed by something. It's whatever it is that you are being shaped by. And the question is this, this is, this is the, everybody in this room, everybody who's listening to me right now, you are becoming somebody. Something is happening to you. Something is shaping you to become more of something. You're becoming more gracious, more forgiving, more loving. You're becoming more cynical. You're becoming more isolated, more alone. You're becoming something. And the reason is because there is whatever it is that is forming you is the culture. It's the air that you breathe. It's what you're swimming in. What God is doing is he is putting together, calling us to be this place where we live and dwell, where his work gets done, where his will is done here on earth as it is in heaven, where we begin to live in a different culture under a different set of rules. This is exactly how Paul sums this up in Romans chapter 12, verse two. In fact, this is a really famous passage. And he opens like this. He says, um, you know, in view of God's mercy, in view of seeing, God, encountering God's mercy, I offer my body as a living sacrifice unto you, holy and pleasing, acceptable. For this is, this is sort of the least that I can do. This is my spiritual offering. And then he says, look at this, do not be conformed by the patterns of this world. Do not be shaped by the thing that you get up and wake up and walk in every single day. Do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by putting our eyes, fixing our attention on other things, on more important things. This is, this is the essence of what it means of how we learn, how to be formed, how to be transformed, how to align ourselves with what God is doing and longs to do. What I have learned, and there are two things I wanna mention here, Number one is you have to pay attention to what you pay attention to. As one who has significant attention issues, this has been a lifelong struggle and a lifelong pursuit for me, and I'm not making any light of it. I have wrestled deeply with this, but what I have learned is that I have to learn how to be a steward of my attention. They call it paying attention for a reason because it has a cost to it. When a year, my, my word, uh, one year was uh, to, to, to produce, uh, no, it was inspire. My word was inspire. And I remember what I learned out of that year and what I wrote down, I sort of keep this in front of me. It says, whatever catches my eye will eventually capture my heart. Say, so, hey man, what are you doing? I'm just, just scrolling. Not only does it have your eye, but it's shaping your heart. Every relationship, everything that you are in, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but somehow he has seen fit to leave us within this world that works according to these patterns every single day. We have to pay attention to what is shaping us. Number two is our depth. And this is what I wanna finish with. I wanna talk about our depth. Because a lot of people are big on depth. I talk to people all the time who'll say, Mike, you know, I, I used to go to Port City, but I needed something deeper. Okay, whatever. 
And we have this idea of depth, that depth is somehow something that we know more about God or know more about his word or know more books of the Bible or know more things about whatever it might be. And the warning that I would say is do not mistake trivia for depth. Depth isn't about knowing more things about God. It is having the things that you know about God seep deeply into your bones and into your character so you become, so you become. You cannot grow in depth with God and be indifferent towards others. You can't grow in depth with God and be sarcastic with others or condescending toward others or make enemies out of others. You cannot grow in depth and do those things. You can know a ton about him and do those things, but you cannot be formed in his image and do those things. This is the picture that I'm trying to get, get us to understand. So here's what I want us to do. When I think about reach, there are three things that when we talk about deepening, and I'm gonna put this down here, when we talk about deepening, I wanna be very clear, this is because this matters in who we are becoming, in who we are becoming. And who we are becoming is what people are gonna experience about us every time they rub shoulders with us, whether it's in our facilities or whether it's somewhere else where we are positioned or placed throughout the culture. So it's important that you understand these things and are willing to say, this is who I am, because this is what I pray that the ethos the culture of Port City does, as God does these things, that, he, that this is what it does. Number one, as we want to grow deepening, we want to deepen in our distinctness. And this just means that as things progress, we are going to look more and more different than what the world looks, because we do just don't live under those patterns. It's going to look different. By distinct, I don't mean weird, I mean distinct. There's a character and an integrity and a willingness to sacrifice that is distinct about us, that we bear God's image and his integrity and therein that becomes our image and our integrity. We're gonna unpack this. I told you that's sort of can number one. Can number two is that we deepen in our oneness in who we actually become. We believe that the way of Jesus is distinctly different than the way of the world. It's interesting. When Jesus was before Pilate and Pilate's, you know, kind of interrogating him, I was like, aren't you a king? Are you a king? Are you a king? Jesus says, it is as you say. Jesus used this cryptic language with Pilate that, you know, drove him crazy. It is as you say. He's just talking about his kingship. And then Jesus makes this remark. He says, my kingdom is not of this world because if it were, my followers would come and they would fight. If, if my kingdom were this world, my followers would look like everybody else in the world. But because my kingdom is different, we look different. How many times do we get sucked into using all the patterns of the world to sort of exercise or get God's way? We have to be convinced that the way of Jesus is different. We have to be convinced that the image that God longs to bear in the world is the way in which you and I relate to one another. That's a hard one for me. That the way you and I relate to one another is how God's image is gonna get, get born. We wanna deepen in that. Do you know why it's so hard to love people? Right, because people are often very unlovable, aren't they? They're difficult, not you, but people you know. People who came to the other service. 
And then last is we want to we want to deepen in our purpose and understanding that God has put us here to love. To love. When he was summing up the commands, he could have said anything. Jesus, what's the greatest command? He could have said anything. He could have said, stand on the right principles. Take out anyone who threatens you. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He was envisioning a redemptive work. And I've said this before, last week actually. God hasn't commanded us to change the world, but rather to love it. And I've been noodling on this and thinking about this. This is what it, so in order to change someone, that's actually a lot easier because I can leverage control or manipulation. I can do a lot of things to change someone. But to love someone feels like you're leaving it to chance. And what I've been thinking about is what God is asking us is, do we trust his love enough to do what his love actually does? Love isn't about making a way for us to be nice to each other. It's a force. It's a force that moves into the world. And so here's the culture that we're talking about. These three things. In order for us to deepen our distinctness, it means that we live as those who are loved by the Father and we live under his care. We become a culture in which we care and we care deeply. In order for us to grow in our oneness, in our oneness, we become a culture where when you walk in here, and this is honestly why I've become more and more and more committed to the way we gather on Sundays. I'm so grateful for the work that we have done over the last few years to make this more personal because we want for when you come into our place, when you rub shoulders with this sort of culture here, that anything that you feel, any isolation or distance you feel, right, gets dissipated because of what you have walked into. These, these things that we're growing in, these are works of the Holy Spirit in our lives. They are not things that we strategize or manufacture. These are things that God does in us so that we become what he's created us to be. And as we grow in our purpose and we understand, we're deepen in our purpose and we understand this call to love. I try to imagine what it would be like if this place was this bastion in a world that has lost its mind of goodness. Right, what if we were just an echo or a shadow of what God had intended? You see, the dirty little secret about this, a lot of people think that you can just create a program or some strategy and you can solve all the world's problems. The dirty little secret about redemption is that redemption is relational. When God came to redeem the world, he entered in to the blood and the guts and the dirt of humanity and they ended up crucified. It is relational, incarnational, dirty work. But it's who we become 
Can you imagine if people rubbed shoulders with you and with us and they believed they were cared for? Can you imagine if people rubbed shoulders with us and there was no withholding, there was, no, there was just something that began to connect and draw? Or if they came in here from being beat up and sick and all the other things that happened in our world, they showed up and just for a moment they thought, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, there's something different, something good. It's not because we're a cool church or a better church. You know why this happens? Because we bear the image of God. I wanna, we're working on some resources to kind of make this a little bit more accessible, and you'll hear more about this, but I wanna read this together as we close our time. You know the metaphors, salt and light and yeast. Woman puts a little bit of leaven in a, dough, a lump of dough and she kneads on it. And before you know it, the entire lump of dough is affected by this leaven. That's, that's how Jesus taught. He wants us to enter in to think about these things. So read this together. Working for the welfare of people who don't know God, who aren't in fellowship with him. Looks like a covering of salt, a glow of light, a pinch of yeast, or a pleasing fragrance. It could be that our work for others' welfare might never be seen. You might do things that no one ever knows about. These biblical metaphors suggest an approach that is creative, patient, and subversive. In a culture built on deception and lies, we can prove ourselves to be authentic and trustworthy. In a culture of greed, we can be generous in a world that divides and scatters, we can be a people who gather and pursue justice. Among people committed to violence, we can be the ones who seek peace and pursue it. My question this morning is not, do you promise to do this and never do what you're doing ever again? My promise or my, my, my question to you is what if this week, you experience just a little bit more of his fullness and a little bit more consistently. What might that do in shaping your life? What if you experienced him? Like if, you're, if you fix your eyes on him and you're just a little bit more fully and a little bit more consistently, how different might things be for you? And if they were different for you, how might they be different for us? And if it was different for us, what could it be like if we really became right, this place that held the integrity of God's image and the influence of his love? I'm gonna send it back over to Don and Chad and Newburn and Alita, I'm gonna invite Clay um, to come up here. Amen, it's such a really powerful message that we heard today, just about what the future of our church really does look like, centering around those three ideas of care, connection, 
and goodness. And as we wrap up our time together online today, we wanted to just point out that idea of being connected as a church, even through uh, watching online. We know that you are watching from all different places around the country and maybe even the world. And we would love to still connect with you. You deserve to be connected with, you deserve to be encouraged, uh, and you have a role to play in the future of the church. And I think a lot of you probably would say, well, I'm not sure exactly how, or I'm not sure what my next step really is. And a great way to begin the conversation around what your next step could be is simply by filling out the connect card. If you go to portcity.church forward slash connect, uh, that link is on the screen. Uh, it's a perfect place for you uh, to just give us your name and your email, a way to reach out to you. And then there's actually a perfect option that you can select today. If you're unsure of what your next step is, uh, there's, a, there's an option just for that. Uh, and then one of our connect team members will reach out to you, uh, get to know you a little bit and you begin to kind of ideate what could your next step be here at the church? We also want you to know uh, that wherever you're watching from, we support you. Uh, wherever you are in life, whatever you're walking through, whatever you're carrying right now uh, in your circumstances and in this season of your life, we do care for you. And we want to be there for you every step of the way. So if you need care or you need support, uh, we would really, really encourage you to fill out that Connect card uh, today and allow one of our team members to reach out to you. Uh, we love you. We are for you. Thank you again for joining us online today. It has been such a privilege uh, to come into your home, maybe in your car, or maybe just your AirPods uh, at a coffee shop right now. Uh, we're for you, and we'll see you right here next Sunday.